0: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Five Oaks. I had one job, and it's right on the top of my notes. It says, wait for animation, and I didn't wait. Sorry, tech guys. Uh, hey, welcome to Five Oaks. My name is John, and, I, so, and I, uh, I serve as our family and discipleship pastor. We are excited this uh, coming week uh, as you jump back into school in whatever way, shape, or form that's going to look like for all of us as we jump back into another ministry season. Uh, we want to tell you more and more about the family discipleship journey. It's something that we launched last year, and it's an opportunity for you to see all the different things on a map that we are preparing and, and putting together to equip you as you journey as a family. And that is more important now than ever before because everything changes by the moment. But one thing that doesn't change is our influence with our, over our kids and, and, and the, the influence we want to have over our kids as we, as we tell them about God, as we walk through life with them. And so, uh, so tune in to the, to the videos. We'll have a bunch of them on our website and uh, Normally we do that event in person, but this year we're going to do it virtually so that you can watch it whenever you want to and uh, it'll be great. So this is week three of our series on Jonah. We're calling it Experiencing Amazing. And this weekend we are looking at, at three ways that Jonah shows us that we experience God's mercy. It's three ways that, we'll experience, that Jonah experiences God's mercy and uh, in the passage that we're going to look at. It's in chapter 1 verses 11 through 17, and we'll get there in, in a moment. But, uh, but there's some really important things in this passage for us. And as we jump in here this morning, let's start our time with a word of prayer together. Uh, you'll see the words on the screen, and, uh, and you can pray along in the underlying portions. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good, and we can trust in your faithfulness. Your promises stand, and what you have planned and purposed will come to be. As we look to your word, teach us and guide us by your spirit. Remind us that you are faithful and sovereign. Thank you that we can be confident that as we follow you, you will protect us and provide us with all that we need to fulfill the mission that you've called us to. Amen. The book of Jonah is about sharing in God's heart. It's about sharing in God's heart for people who are are far from Him, and it's about uh, it's about what's revealed in our own hearts as He calls us to do that. We need this message. We need this message that that comes to us through the life and story of Jonah, because it's about how Jesus is going to how Jonah inspires us and equips us for joining Jesus in His gospel mission. We need to raise the outreach temperature in our own hearts and by outreach temperature we mean the passion that we have for being a part of God's mission to reach people who are far from him. And that's what we mean by this this term of outreach temperature. That's a term that we've been using the last few weeks and we'll continue to use it. It is a, it means the passion that we have for God's mission to bless the whole world through Christ. We all have an outreach temperature. And it can be hot or cold. It can be somewhere in between. It's our responsibility to steward this passion. It's not just something that we wait to feel. It's not just something that we, that we blame on God or that we, we cast to God as his job. It's something that we have to, to steward in our own lives. And we're going to see through, the, through this passage in Jonah a little bit what that looks like for Jonah at this part of the story. In our lives, it, it, it needs to develop rhythms. And not just be episodes or episodic things that we do, but it's rather a rhythm to our life. And and, uh, one of the rhythms that that we have in our family is in our neighborhood. We spend a lot of time in our neighborhood. Our house is the gathering point for all the kids, which means that my grass has way more bald spots than I would prefer. But it's also the gathering place for a lot of the adults. We hang out in the driveway, we have bonfires, and, and we just spend a lot of time doing life together. And this whole idea of of reaching out to people who may be far from God, uh, many of the people in our neighborhood are are followers of Christ. Many of them are far from God. And at any given point, it's important for us to recognize that like Jonah, we may also be far from God. And this outreach temperature is our way of, 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 of being available to God, to reach out to the people that he's bringing Into our lives. Jonah's issue is just like ours. That he is cold towards God in this this particular part of the of the story. And in turn, he's cold to others. And often the true the same is true for us that we are that the closer we are in our relationship to God, the more naturally we're drawn to carry out his mission to others. It works the other way as well. We know what we believe based on how we live. We know what we believe based on how we live. And so if we look into our lives and we see things in our lives that are not consistent with the story that God has called us to, that are not consistent with the mission that he has invited us into, it ought to tell us that we really don't believe the things that we think, the things that we, think we believe. And that's a, a great way for us to, to, to gut check ourselves a little bit, that do, I, do I really believe this? And at times, it's the distance between our head and our heart that is the biggest distance here, that we know the truth, and we probably would sincerely say, yes, I believe this. But then when we examine our lives and we don't see it coming out in how we live, it's an opportunity for us to take a new step towards the mission that God has called us into. This series is going to be followed by a very practical series on how we bless our neighbors. We have a bunch of new neighbors around our church building, and so we'll be talking about what does it look like for us as an organization, as a church, to bless the new neighbors that we have around us. And we'll talk about what does it look like for you to bless the neighbors that are physically around you in your home, in your neighborhood, in your apartment, on your sports teams, or you know, wherever, whatever you want to define a neighbor, in your workplace. We'll be looking at what does it look like for us to bless the people around us, as the part of how we bring God's, God's love to, this, to the world around us. So let's turn now to, to the first chapter of Jonah, verses 11 through 17. And as we do that, I've got a couple things uh, for you. The book of Jonah messes with us. <clears throat> it messes with us because it magnifies and mirrors the parts of our character that, that, are, that are not following God. We look at Jonah and we see, wow, that, that's That's not really a great way to live. But then we recognize that we oftentimes live the same way. And yet it displays the wideness of God's mercy. We see God's mercy on display. And uh, Eugene Peterson says this about the book of Jonah. Jonah is not a hero too high and mighty for us to identify with. Instead of being held up as an ideal to admire, we find Jonah as a companion in our ineptness. God is working in and around Jonah's very ineptness and accomplishing his purposes in him. Most of us need a biblical friend or two like Jonah. Let's listen and watch the passage that we're looking at today. Jonah 1, 11 through 17. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land. but They could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So, we get to talk about the big fish from the story of Jonah. This is the part of the story that we all know. It's the part that we know from, from, from many of us since we were really small children. We start hearing about this, this story in the Bible where this man gets swallowed by a fish. This is the story, and yet the fish serves as some, it complicates things for us. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. But let's look at this story for a moment here. Let's stop and not let this fly by. So Jonah has made a terrible mess for himself, and he's made a terrible mess for the people that he's with. He's run from God. He's on a ship, and God sends a great wind that stirs up a a really bad storm. And in the midst of it, Jonah at first isn't even aware. He's in the bottom of the boat sleeping while the sailors on top of the boat are, are fearing for their lives. And so finally, Jonah wakes up and realizes that this issue, this mess that they are in the middle of, is because of him. And he knows exactly that it's him. And so he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault. That this great storm has come upon you. So then a little further down it says they took Jonah and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to him and made vows to him, which means there's a bit of a a conversion experience here. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. So it's a, a, a it's a crazy part of this story. That uh, that as you read some of the commentaries about okay, could a person really be swallowed by a fish? There's actually some historical accounts of it. I'm not going to get into that here this morning, but it's not as far fetched as we might think. And when we look at the the way that it's written, it's not written as though there's a there's a fic, like a fictitious. There we go, fictitious story that's being told about this. That this is just kind of a recording of what happened. This is what happened. This is what it was. There's no crazy details about it that would lead us to believe that it's some kind of fabricated story. It's just a reporting of the facts. So Jonah observes and experiences God's mercy right in the midst of this, in this particular passage. And the first way that he shows us we experience God's mercy is when we run. We experience God's mercy when we run. Now, I'm going to contend that a part of what's going on for Jonah is some fear and insecurity. He's afraid. And just like you and I, when we're, when, he, when we're afraid, we do one of three things. We fight, we flight, or we flee, or we freeze. And Jonah chooses the second one, and he flees. He runs. He's been asked by God to, to go on a particular mission to a particular people, and he says no. And like Jonah... We often run physically, emotionally, and spiritually from the God who has invited us to be on mission with Him. We run away from God's mission. It might be because we're afraid or we're unsure of exactly how this is going to turn out. Sometimes it's because we think it's a terrible idea. And that's what I love about the story of Jonah that Jonah doesn't try to candy coat this. You know, it's it's clear that Jonah thinks it is it is ridiculous that he's being called to go and preach to the Ninevites. And he makes it very clear with his actions what he thinks about that. But then Jonah shows us how God reacts when we run. He doesn't just let Jonah go. He doesn't just let Jonah go. God pursues Jonah. And when we run, he pursues us as well. And so God has called Jonah to, to go and preach to the, the Ninevites. And, and if you remember, the Ninevites, are, they're a terrible people. And if we know a little bit of history about this, we would understand that we would probably think the same thing that Jonah thinks. And there's probably people in our world today that if we were called to them, we would, we would behave the same way that Jonah behaves. And there probably would be great reason for it. The people that Jonah have been called to are barbarians. They murder people. They destroy villages. I mean, we're we're saying that if there was a people on the face of the earth during this time that that we could make a case for God destroying, it would be them. And so Jonah is, is caught in this crisis of faith. How could the God that I know and believe in be calling me to go and give a message to these people that will bring them to him? They don't deserve him. They deserve to die and be punished. So Jonah does the only thing that he can do, and he runs away. But when we do this, when we, when, when we run away, just like Jonah, we're taking matters into our own hands. We've decided that what we want to do is better. And when we decide that, what we, that our plan is better, that's called sin. When we decide that God doesn't know what he's doing, and that instead we're going to do our own thing, that is the definition of 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 sin. Sin is not just the bad things that we do. Sin is the condition of our heart that is the same condition that Adam and Eve have in the first scene in the opening pages of the Bible. Adam and Eve all of a sudden have this distrust for God. They don't trust that he has their best interest in mind, and so they do their own thing, and it breaks the world. And it didn't just stop there. We continue to do that in our own lives. When we choose to go our own way It's sin, and it breaks things, and it creates a mess, but it's also the second way that we experience God's mercy. We experience God's mercy when we sin. When we sin, it causes storms. Now, let's stop for a second here before we go to the crazy end of this. This is not to say that every storm in your life is because of a sin. That's not good theology, and Jesus actually speaks against this in in the in the gospels, you know, that, that there's recordings of him saying to them, "No, this is not, this is not how that works." You know, not every storm is because of of a personal sin. But when we sin, when we step out of what God has called us into, or step away from his design, it makes a mess. And we don't have to even look into the story of Jonah to see this. We can just look in the mirror. We can see the areas in our lives that are that, that have a mess in them. We know the areas of our lives where we know that what we're doing or believing or the way we're acting or treating someone is wrong. We might even be so arrogant as to say, I know this is wrong, and I know it's going to create a mess or a storm for me, but I'm, it's, I'm going to be able to control the storm. That's how far, and that's a little bit of what we see going on with Jonah here. Jonah's like, well, I, you know, I, I, it's, it's going to be fine. I'm going to figure it out. And he's decided that his way is still the best way to go despite what God is doing to pursue him. So in response to Jonah's sin, God provides a storm and a fish. Here's a quick note about the fish. So the fish is a serious hanging point for us because it's part of this story that makes us feel like the Christian faith is one of those in which we have to check our brains at the door and just believe blindly All of these crazy stories. And at a certain point, it causes some serious doubt for us because we don't want to check our brains at the door. Or to check our brains at the door means that we need to, it's like we have to just pretend that there's some serious inconsistencies in what we're being asked to believe and just believe it anyway. Which, yes, God says, you know, believe in faith. And so that is a part of our faith, that we believe without proof. But in the midst of this, this fish thing is is a little crazy. But let's, let's push time out for a second. At the core of the Christian faith is a God who raised himself from the dead. And so when we think about the resurrection and we think about what God did with Jesus, what Jesus went through and then rose from the dead, the fish isn't really that big of a deal. And we could probably contend that we're thinking too much about the fish. Because we believe way crazier stuff that, it, from the Bible than about a, a guy being swallowed by a fish. and So there's my little note on the fish. I think we think about the fish too much. But, uh, but God sends a storm and then provides rescue from the storm in the form of a fish, and he saves Jonah from drowning. Now, there's another part of this in terms of God's character that can be a challenge for us, and that is, do, is, God, is God a God who's going to smite us the moment that we step out of line? From him, Is he the kid on the anthill with the magnifying glass that's ready to punish me the moment that I walk away from his way? Those are questions that I don't think we can probably answer in the, in the time that we have this morning, but they're great questions. And the way that I want to help us look at that here this morning is that God is providing a storm. He sends the storm. Is there some wrath and anger? Probably. But is the end of where he's trying to go, the, is his purpose to just be mad? No. This is God's mercy. God sends the storm to bring Jonah to his senses. It's, it's, a, it's a part of how God is calling Jonah back to himself. And Jonah begins to come to his senses when he realizes how his actions are not only affecting him, without how they're affecting other people as well. Jonah's sin leads to sacrificing his life to save others. Jonah finally starts to come to his senses as he realizes that he has endangered the other men on the boat. And this feeling of sorrow and compassion that's caused by the suffering or misfortune of others, that's the definition of pity. A feeling of sorrow and compassion that's caused by the suffering and misfortune of others. And when we are the root of that, there are fewer things that can get our attention. Whether it's people that we don't know or people that we do know. This probably is a little bit more up close and personal when we realize that we have done this with the people in our homes who we love the most. When we realize that we've made a decision or there's a pattern in our life that is hurting the people that we love. It brings us to our senses. So Jonah is thrown into the water to save the sailors that he has endangered. And there's a pattern of God's love here that... If we only read this as, a, as, a, as this isolated story, as an isolated act of God, it's just a part of this narrative of, of what's happening with Jonah. But in the context of the whole Bible, we see foreshadowing of this concept of substitution. A life being given up for others. Jesus actually refers to himself as the ultimate Jonah. In, in, in Matthew's Gospel, he refers to himself as the, as the ultimate Jonah. And what he's saying is that as Jonah was sacrificed to save others, he will die to save us. And so we see so much happening in this passage. We see our own humanness running. We see God's mercy responding. And we also see some foreshadowing to how God takes care of things to make sure that we can be brought back to him. Both in the cosmos and the greater grander story that is that is humanity and God's creation and bringing all things back to him and in our individual stories as well God's justice or punishment here is his mercy calling Jonah calling us back to himself and then providing a way so Jonah gets thrown into the water and and he would drown he's going to drown but God provides a fish and the fish serves as God's mercy As soon as Jonah hits the water, the God God who he he does not trust miraculously saves him with a fish. And that's how we ought to see the fish. When there seems to be nothing that could bring us back to God or something that we've done that's so bad. The God that we believe in, the God that we follow, the God that we can trust because of what we're reading in this story can do something as crazy as provide a fish to save someone. Jonah is experiencing the same mercy from God that started this whole story to begin with. He's experiencing the mercy that God's also trying to extend to the Ninevites. Jonah does not deserve to be saved in this moment. In fact, we could could contend that Jonah doesn't even want to be saved. That Jonah wants to just run away from God. Like the Ninevites and like you and I, Jonah recognizes his attempt to go his own way is not going to work. His life depends on God. Going our own way never really ends well. Even if we can convince ourselves that it's working in our physical lives, it's not working in our spiritual lives. And we need something outside of ourselves to get us back on the right track. And like Jonah, we can't fix this on our own. So, the third way that we experience God's mercy is when we realize that we're not enough. Now, I don't necessarily like this concept of being not enough because I feel like everywhere we look in our world, in the culture around us, in advertisements, that's the greatest selling point in the history of advertising campaigns. That you are not enough. You're not enough unless you have this thing. And you need to buy this thing to be enough, to be the person that you want to be. And when we feel that way, we do all kinds of things to, you know, to, we, we buy it or we eat it or we don't eat it or we, we drug it, we drink it, we sex it, we do all kinds of different things to try to be enough. And there's a part of my heart that says, if I hear God telling me that I'm not enough, that's enough for me to walk away. I don't need that message anymore. But God is saying this in a different way. That we are not enough, but in our not-enoughness, Jesus says, you are enough because I am enough. And an example of this is the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus takes a a, a lunch, a couple fish and a few loaves of bread, and he feeds 5,000 or probably more people, miraculously. Can you imagine for a moment If Jonah's response had been a different response, what Jonah would have experienced if his response to God's call was the same response as the young boy who offered Jesus his lunch. If Jonah had said, God, are you serious? I mean, I'm probably going to die if I go there, but if you say so, I will go. And Jonah also could have looked at this and said, Wow. If the God that loves me can love a people group like the Ninevites, his love is infinitely bigger than I could ever imagine. What if Jonah had had thought that and done that instead? He would have seen the power and presence of God at work. And later in the story, we, we will get to that part. But sometimes one of the greatest things that causes us doubt is that we don't feel like we see God moving enough. But if we look at Jonah's story, one of the reasons we may not see God moving is because we're not following him into where he's asked us to go. Our attempt at self-sufficiency leads us to disobedience. And we get stuck in this posture of doing things on our own, and before we know it, we've gone our own way. And this is kind of the American way. Is to kind of do, we want to do our own thing. We want to make our own way. We want to make our own success. And that is not the way the kingdom of God works. One of my favorite books that has changed my life in thinking about God is the book The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. And I explained it a little bit in this clip.
1: So in this book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis is telling a story that is essentially a, well, it is a, a dream vision of his and he tells it in the form of a story and it's a story that depicts this great divorce between heaven and hell and in the story there are characters that ride on a bus and and they descend into what they call gray town and we later determine that gray town is a depiction of hell and in gray town it rains all the time and it's It's miserable, and it just keeps getting worse and worse. Well, people can have whatever they want. And there are many characters that choose to stay, even though it's just this terrible, terrible place. And, in fact, they they don't even want to be near each other. And The story depicts how people continue to move further and further apart from each other, some being as far apart from each other as 15,000 Earth years is how he describes it. And some get on the bus and they they ascend up into what we discover are the foothills of heaven. And it's as beautiful and as amazing as as we might think, as anyway, as C.S. Lewis depicts. And there are those who choose to leave the foothills of heaven because to exist in the kingdom of heaven, you have to, one has to worship God and one has to give up things that uh, they might want for themselves because that's just not the way the kingdom of God works. So many of them choose to descend back to Graytown or back to hell because they can have whatever they want and be as far away from people as they want to be. And it, it is a startling representation of how people will choose misery to be able to choose and have their own autonomy. And it reminds me a bit of the story of Jonah because Jonah is essentially has the same is living out the same character attributes in this story. He has so determined that the Ninevites are are, are so unworthy of God's mercy and grace and the message that God wants uh, them to hear that he goes his own way. And he decides to distance himself from God and from the people that God has called him to. And and it's a symptom that Jonah's heart is cold towards the Ninevites because it's cold towards God. And Jonah wants his own way and he wants to go his own way and feels that the way he wants to go is a better way than God's, even though it brings him misery throughout the book of Jonah. And we capture some of that misery in this in this passage. But it's a startling representation of character attributes that, that we see in ourselves. It's the part of the story of Jonah that sneaks up on us a little bit and shows us things about the human heart that seem so far off when we read it in a story until we realize that those same character attributes live inside of each of our hearts. It's not the pattern of God's love. It's not the pattern of God's kingdom. And and yet God pursues his people, even though they run from him, he pursues his people to bring them back to his way into his kingdom and into his love. So this,
0: this part of the great divorce is this, it's a, Start at C.S. Lewis, in in a way that is he can only bring, and it, and he tells the story about this bus, and and the way they depict he depicts Greytown is it's just miserable. It rains all the time, and even when they put roofs over their houses, the roofs don't keep the rain out. It's miserable, but people choose to live there because they can have whatever they want, and so we see a little bit in our own hearts the desi- this desire to have whatever we want, and yet. If we, if we want to choose to have whatever we want, we can't also choose to follow God's mission. And Jonah is, is, is showing us that a little bit here. And uh, Tim Keller puts it so well in this, that Jonah's whole problem was the same as ours. A conviction that if we fully surrender our will to God, he will not be committed to our good and joy. A God who substitutes himself for us and suffers so that we may go free is a God you can trust. This is about a drawing back to God. It's about the joy and the relief found in recognizing that we're not supposed to be enough on our own. And 2 Corinthians 12, 9 tells us that it is in our weakness that we find God's mercy, that I will delight in weakness, insults and hardships, persecutions and difficulties, because when I am weak, I am strong. Why? Because these are God's mercy This is God's mercy reminding us that when we need him, that we do need him and that we are not enough on our own because we're not created to be enough on our own. We're supposed to do this with God. And in so doing it with God, we recognize and see God's heart more personally and intimately than we would if we're just on our own. God's pursuit of Jonah is his relentless pursuit to involve us in his work. So Jonah runs from God's calling. He's mistrusted the goodness of God but he didn't know about the cross. We see God's love on display in the cross. We also see God's love and plan and purpose on display in the story of Jonah. And we can let those stories and those things be the the foundation by which we remember that we follow a God that we can trust. God is trustworthy. He's proven it over and over and over again. That's why we have the scripture that we have. So what do we do? Where does this where does this land with this outreach temperature? This concept of outreach temperature. How do we raise our temperature in light of this passage? Well, first and foremost, we have to vulnerably draw close to God in our own ineptness. Examine where we're running. Where are we running away from God? examine that first cuz otherwise this outreach temperature thing okay i'm supposed to i'm supposed to do this stuff i'm supposed to go and reach out and you know and raise my temperature but that can just become another thing and the whole point is to first draw close to god and do this with god we have to grasp the gospel to become spirit-changed, Christ-like men and women. And by grasp the gospel, part of grasping the gospel is realizing that the orientation of our hearts is to choose our own way. But God has already made a way for us to come back to him. And we don't do that on our own. We do that with God. God has provided the way for that. And, and, and that is grasping the gospel. This is not about me finding a way to be a better person in my neighborhood. It's about me drawing closer to Christ so that I'm more passionate about reaching the people in my neighbor. And that doesn't mean that I just go hand out Bibles or or walk around and and be awkward about it. It just means that I find a way to bless people. I find a way to listen. I find a way to care. And if I'm doing it with God, I know that His Spirit is with me doing that. That's what this means for our outreach temperature. As we turn now to, to receive communion, Communion is us remembering and grasping the mercy that we find in the gospel. It's us remembering that this is not something that we do on our own. The way that God's power is indwelled within us is because of the power of the cross. And the power of the cross is that Christ died and then rose again. He defeated death for us and unleashed his power. To those of us who would follow him, and that's this is how we remember that. And so you can take your your, uh, your your single serve packet, and you just peel the top layer off and grab the wafer first. And this is God. This is this is Christ's body broken for you. And then you can peel the the second one off, and you can drink the juice and remember that this is, this is Christ's blood shed for you. This is not religion. This is relationship. This is God's wedding vow to you and to me. And so as you respond, as you receive communion, you do so remembering that and celebrating what he has done for us. Let's pray together. God, we pray that you would join us here this morning. Help us to search our hearts and see the places where we are running from you, Help us to see the places where you've invited us into your mission. Maybe it's to a specific person. And maybe we're holding back because we're not really quite sure what to say or what to do. And God, would you let the word bless ring in our hearts and in our ears? Help us to find a way to bless the people that are in our lives. Help us to care for them. Help us to listen to them. God, we pray ultimately that you would overcome us so that overcome, we may become the truest versions of ourselves. Amen.